Hello, this is Darren Pulsifer, Chief Solution Architect of Public Sector at Intel. And welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation, where we investigate effective change leveraging people, process, and technology. On today's episode, Application and Workload Portfolios in Cloud Migration with special guest Sarah Music, Cloud Solution Architect at Intel. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thanks, Darren. Thanks for having me. Hey, you've been on the show, what, twice before? Or maybe yes, three times? twice. Twice. Mm -hmm, twice. In a big group and then individually, we've talked to you before about, about your role at Intel and, and the great insight that you have. Welcome back. Thank you. Yeah, good to be back. All right. Now, Sarah, tell our audience a little bit about your background, and then we'll dive right into uh, into this uh, episode around application and workload portfolios and in, in cloud. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to work my way backward, but just I'm a cloud solution architect at Intel. So for the for the data center group inside of uh, sales and marketing, and that's a blast. We have a wonderful, wonderful group of cloud solution yeah, architects you guys assembled. Really do. Yeah, with a with a a wide variety of backgrounds, which makes it really exciting because the cloud's a vast expanse of opportunity for customers. But to address that effectively, we have to have a wide you know, sort of girth of backgrounds, which which we do, which is nice. So I came from a, a professional services and software group who does cloud consulting for migration in particular and optimization. So especially where there's technical debt, some of the portfolio rationalization that goes into, you know, really addressing some of that technical debt. Um, and so there's kind of an analytics component to it, but also there's a hardcore, you know, cloud and management uh, component to it. I live in the Southeast. I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. So before that, I worked for uh, regional SIs that are pretty well known here in the South. Um, so, you know, vinegar-based barbecue forever. Um, oh. And it's so good. Yeah, <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, that's, you know, essentially my background. That's how I I started in tech as working for regional SIs. And my schooling is actually in classical music. So shout out to the folks who have a performing arts or liberal arts background. Okay, all right, wait, wait. I did yeah. not know. Wait, I do know that about you, right? You sang, right? Yes, yeah, I still do as a hobby. Mm -hmm. Oh, that is so wonderful. I, I come from a musical family as well. I was not That's gifted right. in the musical talents, but my children all are. So awesome. um, it, it's awesome. I love I love hearing my kids perform. They know how to, They know how to make me cry. They say, Dad, are you gonna come to my performance? Here's a box of tissue paper, right? I mean, that's, yeah. you know. <laughs> I love that. That's so, so great. that's awesome, Sarah. I, I'm, I'm glad you have such wonderful talents and you still share them. All right, let's dive into, let's dive into, because yes. um, we, we heard from Rajiv in the previous um, uh, podcast around, uh, he mentioned, hey, you, you've got to understand your applications. You have yes. to understand your workloads. And he goes, and he goes, Sarah's going to talk to us about that. So it's your turn, Sarah. I mean, we, we've got to understand our applications and workloads to do any kind of cloud work. That's right. Yeah. So that opens up a wide, wide, wide expanse of potential pitfall, pitfalls, but also opportunities. So, you know, one of the biggest things that I see in cloud is that there's this bifurcated attitude of cloud consumption and also cloud strategy. And that that bifurcated attitude is 
the folks who feel fairly secure about the fact that they're cloud native. And so they've been in the cloud, they are protected in the cloud. You know, maybe, maybe there haven't been data center dependencies in the past, but if there have been, they've largely architected away from those. And then there are organizations that have a true hybrid strategy who rely on the data center and for really good reasons because their workloads are better fit for the data center who have cloud footprints sometimes for you know quite a while but there's lingering technical debt that's never been addressed so that's that's a piece of the application landscape but the complexion of applications can be a little uh deceptive in a uh maybe an elusive kind of way so it, oh, how, it how, how so i mean yeah, how so? Because I mean, we we heard in other episodes around cloud that people get surprised when they move their workloads to the cloud all the time. Yeah. So but where does I that think... surprise come from? What What are you seeing when when that happens? What What are the key things that people get surprised about? One One I would say is, and I was thinking about this, knowing that we were going to have this conversation, is the political capital that an application carries versus its actual weight in the organization. So it's what one of my dear colleagues calls mop and bu bucket work. Mop and bucket work is the work that people don't pay attention to until it doesn't work anymore. And then suddenly there's a fire drill. So uh, applications that are typically external facing the customer. A lot of times they have slicker UIs, you know, and so a web component where customers are able to manipulate data. A lot of those are applications that typically carry a lot of political capital, but aren't uh, necessarily, if you think about it, from the standpoint of driving the base health of the business, they may transact on the app. And so obviously that's important, but there are a lot of applications that are relatively small in footprint that if if something happens with them or if they're not adequately paid attention to can actually have an outsized effect on the organization. Um, I actually ran into that problem myself when I was a CIO. We had an external customer facing app. It was small. I thought nothing of it. Our I focused all of our time on our back office and we pushed an update out um, to the front end um, application and uh, we got a DDoS attack at the same time and we did not handle it well. We fell down. That's tough. And yeah, you went, yeah, that's where I got all my white hair that one day because <laughs> the business was shut down and it was a very much um, online, almost like e-commerce, but not really, but all of our all of our business relied on on this one app. So I love the concept of political capital um, that an application has. I never thought of it before until you brought that up. Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, I've made that mistake in a huge yeah. way, huge way. So I, I, I think it's only, yeah, it's only human. I, you know, can think of an example of an organization that I worked with and the application wasn't super large, but it was uh, the connective tissue between headquarters and some of the remote sites. And it had to do with pushing updates for SKUs in terms of what was available coming from the factories. And oh. it was a discrete application that they'd written themselves. And so it wasn't just, you know, something that they could do through SAP because industry specific 
needs that were being addressed in the internal right. And the, they, they hadn't been paying a lot of attention. And so I, I kind of called through the data and found out as, uh, as another colleague of mine said, this is a smoking hole waiting to happen. <laughs> and, um, you know, cause the, the remote sites have to, have to be able to, you know, do work. They have to be able to carry out their day to day. So, so these hidden applications kind of surface when you start doing um, an assessment and you start looking at applications and workloads through through the organization, which mm -hmm. should be one of the first steps that you do in a in a cloud migration or you know when you start looking at your strategy and implementing it. Um, it could be scary. Maybe you don't want to know these things. Yeah, rational it, and it is. And so I would offer that up as sort of a a, a point of reassurance that pretty universally app rationalization can be, and, you know, portfolio rationalization can be a little unnerving. Um, but I, I look at it like working out or, you know, going to the doctor, you're not necessarily saying anything's wrong, but what you're doing is making sure that the health of the organization stays put. And so a lot of, a lot of that work, you, you know, it's painful and it takes man hours. And that's why a lot of folks don't maybe don't spend do more it. time with it than they could. Mm -hmm. So it sounds to me like it almost has to be, um, it's not a one time thing. It sounds like it's a big project and it might be continuous, right? Cause you can't do everything at once. You're going to have to prioritize which ones you're going after yeah. first. So these Seasons. are long, these are like multi-year type of, of programs. Often. Yeah. And you can have sort of boilerplate six month, uh, sort of rip the bandaid off type, uh, engagements. And, and I've seen real success with that approach sometimes when the team decides to just kind of sit down and do the work until they're done and then they get up from the table, so to speak. Uh, but not, not everybody has that, that luxury and it, you know, some of it depends on, what what winds are blowing tail or headwinds for the organization so yeah all right so let, let's talk about categorizing applications and workloads too because workloads are how applications are interacting and humans involved in there what are some of the things i'm looking for for prioritizing or categorizing these so i know what how do i start building my roadmap out i can't do them all at once i have limited budget yeah. So what, what key factors do you use when you're helping organizations go through that process? Yeah, well, there are the, the pure technical ones and I'll start with those, but I think business direction is becoming increasingly important. So as non-technical personas weigh in on uh, technical decisions, so CIO, CEOs are actually having more and more to say about what's going on technically. That can be tough, but that can also be Wonderful, because you finally have the ear of somebody in the past who there have been some Gartner numbers that have come out of that and specifically with regard to mergers and acquisitions that, you know, something like 75% of CEOs recognize that the technical component of the merger or the acquisition or the divestment is going to have a real kind of bearing on the success. But um, so starting with the technical, if anybody has gone through a discovery um assessment or a discovery 
you know, activity within the organization. And by that, I mean, deploying, you know, essentially a crawler with agents and things like that. A lot of the things that that mechanism is going to pick up on will be the things that end up having a real bearing. So, you know, of course, there's the core, the core compute, which, you know, for me at Intel is really interesting to talk about uh, and what, what resides in that cute compute. So not just, you know, what processor, but uh, issues of operating system. Like I'm telling you it's block and tackle, but it's amazing the extent to which just your OS can uh, potentially actually accelerate your cloud journey. So, you know, if you're looking at an Azure and Azure provides extended um, opportunity to run some operating systems. And so, you know what, that might give you the opportunity to migrate a little sooner than you thought, or there are others that, you know, might hold you back. Um, so, you know, from a, from a runtime perspective, uh, thinking down the road about a, additional functionality that you might want to add the, the runtime or the application, um, language, whatever it's been written in may or may not be extensible enough to kind of facilitate allow... some of the feature sets that you want. And so that that kind of ends up pushing the rewrite conversation. But um I'm glad you brought I'm glad you brought the rewrite conversation up because yeah. there's there's a couple um there's a couple big um things that people use when they do the migration. They do a lift and shift, most expensive kind, believe it or not, long term most expensive. They do a full rewrite. They do a re-architecture. Mm -hmm. um, those are kind of the, the three big ones. And then I've seen some people play games with containerization, um, a containerized lift and shift. All you're doing is shifting the problem around. Um, yeah. But it's good to know that you have lots of different tools and opportunities when you're looking at moving your, your workloads or your applications. It's not just one hammer. You've got hammers and screws and saws and nails and uh, all those sorts of things. Uh, That's right. There, and this is anecdotal. So my, my purview is really infrastructure. And so from a, from a coding perspective, you know, um, my depth isn't as, is it, it's not, it's not going to be as far down the line as I can go with infrastructure, but anecdotally, one of the things that I've seen that's actually wild is if you take really, really old applications. So data center exit, you know, a, kind of going back to some of the key drivers of, you know, a portfolio rationalization exercise, data center exit is a big one. If you have really old applications, there are times where if you put a wrapper around those, you potentially could containerize those and send them to the cloud. That's, it's a Band-Aid, but uh, I, it, it has worked. For some organizations, which when you're in kind of a a hurry can be, can be actually good, yeah. really advantageous. Yeah. Have you ever have you ever worked with teams uh, where uh, workloads and applications you just said you you analyze them you said don't touch them. Don't move them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What there, kind that, of what, what what are the characteristics of those types of uh, of workloads typically? What do, what do you typically find in those types of workloads? 
Mm-hmm. So one of the chief advantages of the cloud, and, and I'm, I'm backing into your question, one of the chief okay. advantages uh, to the cloud is, you know, agility, but uh, what some people don't realize when they move to the cloud is agility is par- partially predicated on something that's fairly modular and that's a little bit commoditized. In other words, if you have an application, small or large in the data center, that's so bespoke that to, to build the same kind of environment in the cloud, it, it becomes prohibitive after a while. So, um, you know, it's kind of like the house that you build where, oh, we added a wing over here. So I love historical biographies. I'm reading Ron Chernow's biography on George Washington right now. And, you know, Washington over the years, he added a little bit to Mount Vernon over here in the oh, little yeah, yeah, over he here. Did, yeah. And, and it, you know, it was the, and the finished product was beautiful, but was that something that would be likely to be re-architected somewhere else? Probably not. It was unique to, it was unique to Washington. Um, and so those are, the applications like that, it it's it really is just better unless you're in a situation where, you know, exit is is an issue. Those really do do better. So the more uh, involved the dependency set and the more cross talking there is, and the more bespoke the the stack that the application sits on, the more likely it is that it be it'd be better to say. A lot of folks will. I have it. Some some folks will kind of rip the bandaid off and pull oh, the cords and right go in. ahead and set it. And it's it, it's painful. It can, huh? You can get through, but it's painful. Yeah. 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 So. Um, okay. So we we did one end where hey, I'm going to retain this on prem. Which ones are the easiest ones that you look at and you go, we can move that in in an afternoon, or we can move yeah. that in a couple of minutes. Which ones are on the other end of the spectrum where? Absolutely, rehost, replatform that. Yeah. So, so some of it has to do with the runtime. So, the if it's written, if it's written honestly or in, in Java or Python, it's probably going to be a little easier because some of that has to do with uh, a byproduct of some of the architectural decisions that were probably made in the course of writing applications with those runtimes, and you know some of the versioning around Java and things like that can be, can be helpful. So, so that's some of it, um, you know, just depending on the tech stack, technical debt, you know, how much of it is there, particularly around the operating system and how siloed is the application? So how much does it have to talk? Because you have to think about egress. Okay. So I was going to ask that next was, Mm -hmm. yeah, the data issue here. So yeah. if it's siloed, meaning it's using its own data, it's really not grabbing data from anywhere else, it's a great target because yeah. I don't have to worry about egress costs, which is a huge hidden, that's one of those yes, hidden costs, right? Yes. And even if you know, even if you uh, buy a drug pipeline to and from the data center, uh, it is possible to you know, hit overages. So it is better on the whole, some some organizations are really careful about allocating and watching their traffic over time. Like the network engineers are can be real heroes in that situation, um, but it is better if it's siloed. So if you have something where you can serve up data to the application from an S3 bucket or a small 
you know, MySQL instance or, or what have you, those are super. Those, those need to be. They keep your costs down early. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm, so I'm kind of surprised, but not too surprised that the cloud service providers have not changed their, their egress. I I know why they haven't. They're making tons of money doing it, right. And charging for it. Um, but it's, it's starting to create new architectures, right? It, and it makes yes. migrating some of these, these older applications much more difficult. If you didn't have that big egress charge, then migrating workloads would be a whole lot easier than it is. Yeah. In fairness, you know, even compared to a couple of years ago. So I think this was in 2021, Azure in particular, slashed their egress costs by a fair margin. And I think some of it was because they knew that they were re- they were reaching critical mass in terms of organizations' willingness to move workloads to the to the cloud because they were looking at the egress sticker potentially going how 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 much are we really going to be paying here? Um, uh, but you know, having said that, it is you know it is a factor. So and it depends on the again with the the industry, but um, having So something sometimes like a unified file share where data is replicated back and forth between the cloud, uh, sometimes that's a way that that, um, organizations will will get past it or potentially even have a database instance that's cloud managed in the data center. And so, you know, you're communicating with it in the data center, but from an egress perspective, if you have applications drawing on it in the cloud, that might, that might be a little bit better way to grow because from a, from a gravity perspective, at least it's sort of sitting right there. Yeah. I I've started seeing more of those architectures. Yeah. I call them almost like data diode architectures mm-hmm. where the data resides in your data center and there, and the information is just being pulled, but never sent back. So yeah. I, I run this stuff there and I send a small analyzed data back, but nothing ever comes back, um, which is unnatural. It makes things more complicated uh, and complex architectures. Um, I, let, let's talk about um, uh, compliance um, um, because I know that's another another big sneaky thing that shows up every once in a while when you start looking at um, application movement into the cloud. So what sorts of things have you run in with regulatory compliance and, and cloud uh, migration? Yeah. Uh- I, I I don't want to minimize the challenges of staying in compliance because it takes quite a bit of time. Um, but one of the things that I thought was kind of interesting in the Flexera State of the Cloud report, so that's something that I follow fairly carefully just because they do a really good job of serving up the questions so that the information that comes back is fairly rich. Compliance is still a big issue, but it's inching down the list just a little bit. And I think there are a few reasons for that. One is that the cloud providers have gotten better over the course of time of helping customers architects so that they're in compliance. So the data centers, you know, typically, you know, depending on what you're looking at, like a HIPAA or a PII, SOC 1, SOC 2, those, uh, they will be optimized for the certification. And then the rest of it, the last mile is up to you in terms of how you architect to stay 
in compliance. And I think they've gotten more active in, in some of the coaching there. Another thing that I think has helped is the ISVs who serve highly regulated industries uh, are making sure that there are instances uh, in the cloud, whether it's supporting discrete application or it's an actual COTS that the organization's running, they won't certify the environment unless it's, you know, architected according to their parameters. So, right. so, so, so that's really good. The cloud service providers yeah. are, are providing some really good tools and instances to help you stay in compliance when, when you're running in their, in, in their stuff, which yeah. that could be a really good argument to move in, especially if you know you're not PCIe or PCI compliant. Um, and you go, well, maybe I should just move my stuff into a PCI compliant instance, mm -hmm. right? That has logging and auditing and all the, all the things that you need. I, that, that's, that's a compelling uh, argument right there. Yeah, it you know one or one industry specifically that I'm seeing this with, and I think it's so fascinating, is uh, is HLS, um, healthcare and life sci sciences. Um, oh, really? There's a lot of agitating to move more to the cloud and kind of uh, encouraging a lot of the ISVs and you know providers who support that industry to get more cloud savvy. It used to be that it was really only just research. So, you know, clinical trials or, you know, artificial intelligence and machine learning around, you know, research or, you know, studies around different genomes, you know, genomic research drove a lot of it. Those are the sorts of things that used to be the only fit for right, right. cloud in HLS, but, you know, the compliance piece and the fact that that friction has been reduced to some extent is actually is actually a driver and uh it it makes sense in a way because the i don't want to say the universal complacency because that's far from fair but in a highly regulated industry if you think about an organization like an equifax they had they there were patches they weren't keeping up with there were updates that they hadn't done and there was data that wasn't encrypted that should have been you know that's basic blocking and tackling that that should have been addressed and from an audit trail perspective you know that's this the sort of stuff in the cloud that you can you know trigger an event with and it gets sent back to you know a unified pane of glass so somebody knows what door to knock on and say Whee! Wait a second. Well, that so I, is not, mm -hmm. yeah, this is interesting that you brought it up because what it tells me is when I have when I do move things to the cloud, and even in the process of uh, identifying all my applications, I'm going to uncover things. Yes. And and one of the things that the benefits of cloud, whether it's private cloud or public cloud, is I can universally across all my applications, across all the instances. I can apply changes more easily because I know where they're all at and I know the instances they're running on. Um, so there, there's a lot of benefit to visibility into my data and my applications, primarily because they're running in, in, in a similar environment. Because yeah. I, I, I know when I was a CIO, 
there was stuff running all over my data center. I had no idea what was running. And engineers would spin stuff up. I had no idea what was going on some of the times. And I, and when I found out, I'd blow my top and say, what are you guys doing? You can't, you can't run game servers in our data center. You can't do it, right? And, it, and expose it to the outside world? No, you can't do that sort of stuff. Um, in the cloud, it's a lot easier to see. You have all that visibility. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it is, yes. Uh, the caveat I would offer is that it's kind of like hiding in plain sight. Sometimes, you know, uh, if you watch spy movies and stuff like that, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. sometimes they say the best place you can hide is in plain sight uh, and kind of camouflage yourself. That can be true because when you're dealing with that much data, it may be visible, but interpreting it can be can be difficult. And so that's something else that you have to be uh, prepared to tackle. And one of that, one of those aspects, again, going back to applications is your tagging strategy. How, how disciplined is your organization about and tagging? tagging the more, yeah, yeah. The, comp the more compulsive the tagging behaviors. And by that, I mean, the more, the stricter the organization about tagging, the more likely they are, I think, to be successful long-term. And if, if they struggle with that, that's not to say that as a business, they're not going to do great, but uh, if they need to, if the ship needs to turn it all, they're not really going to know what's underneath the surface. Is that a coral reef? Is that just yeah, 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 open yeah. water? Yeah, Are we? Yeah. So. so, so what you're telling me is, I do all this great work in in identifying all my applications and workloads and dependencies between them. I migrate. Let's say I migrate everything to the cloud. I can't let my foot off of the visibility into everything. Otherwise. I can create the same spaghetti mess in the cloud, probably much faster in the cloud than I did in my data center. That's exactly right. So and, the yeah, the joke right. used to be the the joke used to be your mess for less uh, about the cloud <laughs> because you know the promise of you know saving in the cloud, and then uh, somebody on you joked that it's really your mess for more. So if you'd like to pay more for your mess. <laughs> Go, you know, go, go ahead. So, and, you know, having said that, you know, uh, this is, it is a paradigm shift, you know, thinking top down about the application as opposed yeah, to bottom up. Yeah, so, um, uh, but it, as long as an organization is prepared to do that, I mean, the, the opportunity is actually really, really exciting from. from well, it, well, it sounds to me like an organizational change is needed. You need an application and workloads are that's watching. Yeah. And and doing that where before, hey, the applications are just mandated by the BUs and um, we just handle infrastructure. Mm -hmm. That's right. So I, I great, great lessons. Any last words for, for our listeners uh, today? Um, any last advice you can give them on uh, on assessing their portfolio of applications and workloads? Yeah. Um, you know, technical, technical debt. I'm going to. I'd like to tackle it from two two ends of the stick. Technical debt is is tough, but um, chipping at it away, you know, the best way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time. And organizations that just slowly kind of go after technical debt uh, over time can make real inroads. And sometimes you topple one domino and then the other the others go, which is great. And then for organizations who really have themselves. Uh, wrapped around their their tech stack for applications and know where their applications are, you know, stay vigilant because 
another emergence I'm seeing is that organizations that were savvy a couple years ago are now starting to actually experience technical debt in the cloud. So that's, you know, kind of, kind of encouraging, but also cautionary because the cloud does make it um, somewhat easier to modernize. You know, you still, you still have to, to shift the things. But, but I can um, do it much faster because yeah, it's okay. easier. It's easier to spin up uh, new instances. I can get access to new capabilities in the cloud every day. That's right. So, Sarah, thanks for coming on the show. It's been wonderful as always. Um, so I can't wait to talk to you again. That sounds great. Thanks for having me, Darren. Thank you for listening to Embracing Digital Transformation today. If you enjoyed our podcast, give it five stars on your favorite podcasting site or YouTube channel. You can find out more information about Embracing Digital Transformation at embracingdigital.org. Until next time, go out and do something wonderful.